Shinara, funny fella. Running amidst the trees. Who's there? I said as I stood in my head. And nobody answered me. This is Bruce. This is John. And this is Blix. Well, this week we're going to be talking, we're continuing our uh, talk about, you know, travel on the on the Fringe Pass. Though this one's going to be a little bit different because this one we're going to be talking about. <clears throat> Fringe in space. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be talking about space travel. And how and how your fringe worthy uh, team can well do it. Now we're not going to talk about any of the hard science, you know, you know, hard science, you know, rocket science style stuff. For that, we actually we're going to point you to a website called the Atomic Rocket Page. It's put together by a by a person by the name of Winchell Chung, who if a real rocket scientist. Well, he's actually he's actually not a rocket scientist, but he knows a lot of rocket sciences. It's several. 100,000 words worth of rocket science and information about getting into space. It's basically your one-stop shopping for hard science and space travel. Uh, Winslow Chung, as I, as I mentioned, uh, you might know him from his artwork for Warp War, uh, Ogre, and GEV from the old metagaming uh, line of games. So Winslow's got a, a pedigree in, in, uh, in gaming. In fact, his main reason why he created this site was to help people who do create science fiction games and or uh, novels to get their science right. And if you, if you are a hard science fan like I am, this is the place to go. He also does cover the less than hard science, too, as well. So what you as the GM need to do is you need to talk to your players. This is one of the times you really need to talk to your players and ask them what kind of an adventure do they envision if they think of space travel or if they think of rocket ships or, or you know something that's going to be in the upper atmosphere or beyond and if they you know, if they say something along the lines of you know Apollo 12 well then okay then you're going to need to go and do some research okay but if instead they say something along the lines of well I'm thinking about you know something from the old pulpish era where guys jumped in their spacesuits and they uh, or they, they jumped in their rocket ships and they thundered you know out of the, the space dome and went up into space and started firing lasers at enemy ships and things like that well okay then you're going to have to design an adventure that supports that kind of technology Okay, and that's what we're going to talk about uh, as part is, is that, you know, what kind of a world would be required in order to have that kind of space technology available on it. So, but the, the first uh, question that we wanted to talk about was, is that since there's so many different kinds of adventures that involve spacecraft or high altitude craft, we start asking ourselves, well, what kind of adventures, you know, would would be in this kind of a setting? So we said, you know, 
one of the first things that came up was it's a space culture. It's a space age world. Going to space, going to the moon is like uh, riding the bus. You know, everybody goes out and they get into the uh, they, they go outside their homes and a, a bus comes by and it just goes in there and it drives over into uh, another big launcher and the launcher flies up into space and comes back every day because these guys are are the equivalent of pipe fitters on the moon because space is travel is so cheap and energy is so abundant that they don't think anything about doing this kind of thing. Yeah. Now. You know that's uh, is, is actually very unrealistic because it actually takes quite a bit more time to get to the moon than uh, unless you involve things like space warping and things like that than what you could do on a daily basis. But, but still, the point is, is that you know you we're talking about uh, a mature space technology where there's no surprises. You know, the, uh, the, the technology is already there. It's just a matter of applying it. You know, your spaceships work. They're reliable. Uh, they, they don't fall apart very often unless they've been sabotaged or uh, are under-maintained. You know, so you're, if you have that sort of thing going on, you're going to be talking about a world in which, you know, somebody's not doing their job or there's, you know, some kind of a conspiracy or somebody's cutting corners. It's not about, well, we just haven't designed that yet. We just don't know how to do that right yet. You know, that's that's one kind of world where you could have actual space travel in it. And also, there's the we're talking about worlds where there's space travel. And this is sort of pulpish, but it's not as as pulpish as, you know, hopping into the space bus. And that's a rocket punk world sort of like think of Heinlein juveniles like have space suit will travel uh spaceship Gal- oh, was it was a spaceship galileo yeah and uh moon's heart's mistress the rolling stones though that was actually a fair is fairly hard science fiction but it in, the, in today's terms it's actually quite soft science fiction it's it's where ships are sometimes literally built in some guy's backyard and launched there's the man who sold the moon. There's a great example of that sort of, that sort of thing. He's a millionaire who has a ship built for himself so he can go to the moon. Uh, Har- Har- Harleman, I think his name was. And this is and this is the universe of no computers. What computers fill buildings and they run with relays and there's no integrated circuits. And when you fly a spaceship, you fly it as one guy once said, as God and Heinlein intended, with a with a slide rule. And a bunch of books and some charts, and by the seat of your pants, it's how you get into space. And it's a really different feel for that world. And it is more dangerous because you are flying from Earth to Mars, depending on how good a guy's math is to get you there. Right, and so, you would, and you would expect the uh, the people, your heroes, to be more smarter and more math savvy and be able to handle that sort of thing on their own. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, could that be something that you could even use? Uh, we, we keep going to the Victorian world because it's just, it's a fun world, and uh-huh. you know one day we're going to do a whole show on that. But uh, could, you could use that in the Victorian world if you wanted to. If you wanted to give them spaceships, there would be no reason why you couldn't do it that way. That's, you know, you're not, you're not using stuff any... like Cavorite comes into play, and, and or if you're in Space 889, you know, uh, Liftwood and stuff like that come into play to get you into space. But, but we need to go back to the, the question of why go into space. Oh, you know, right. uh, you know, what's the point of the adventure? And one of the one of the reasons that you might need to go into space or sub or suborbital is is that you might be on an alternate and you might have a critical need to travel very very fast. And going outside the atmosphere allows you to travel much much faster. So if you needed to literally get from one side of the world to the other in 15 minutes, 
a spacecraft would let you do that, where you could possibly do that uh, on the planet unless you had some kind of teleportation. And then the other reasons to go into orbit is because there's something in orbit that we need to deal with. Uh, we might need to escape the planet. The, something might be wrong with the planet and everybody has to get off of it. Uh, or we might need to stop somebody who's in orbit who's going to destroy the planet or rain down atomic fire or asteroids or whatever that might be. You know, so we need to get up there. Or uh, in the worst case scenario, we might need to destroy the planet ourselves. And so we don't want to be on the planet while we destroy it. So we need to get into orbit, too. And so, uh, uh, and John mentioned uh, when we were talking about this ahead of time that uh, this would be a really good opportunity. That you hope that this is happening on a prime world, so you can go off to some of the star platform. I mean, the, the system platform portals, because you're going to lose all the portals on the on the Earth when you do that. Yeah. Well, I was I was also thinking that uh, okay, you you arrive to a world and the portal is on the planet, but maybe it's a planet like in. Um, uh, the Chronicles of Riddick, where, you know, you come out and the sun is coming up over the horizon and, you know, once the sun hits your side of the planet, everything's going to be flash fried. So, you know, this there's a station. It's been designed so that, you know, people don't actually stay on planet, but that's where the portal is. So uh, the, the real adventure takes place on the space station that's, uh, you know, that's above the planet or orbiting the planet and that's where actually all the people really that's where they really live or that's where the adventure really is hmm. so that would be a reason why you'd want to be able to get off the planet and i mean that's just one reason maybe the planets you know uh, maybe it's a it's harsh for some other reason or it's hmm. not developed or you get there and for whatever reason there's nothing on the planet other than you know um maybe it's like a a veget you know, like there's vegetation and animals, and there's no civilizations, and there's an observation uh, station in space, and that's where you got to go. And and the people who built this and set this up, maybe it's a Tamelan location, that's where the adventure really occurs. Right. Or, it could be a wasteland, yeah. and so you might right. need to get off the planet because it's not safe to be on the planet very long. Yeah, or it's something like uh, if you ever saw the uh, the the second Flash Gordon movie, the the one with with the Queen doing the doing the music. Basically, everything was like you know floating islands. You had you know the oh travel. that's that's an alternate. That's that, an other. <laughs> that definitely is an alternate, but they're but they're, they're separated. But they're separated by space and stuff. And you need still need a spaceship to get from A to B. But you're not really traveling through space. You're traveling through something else. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's it's another. It's another where outer space is different. Outer space is actually an atmosphere, and you can sail through it. And and that's that's really cool. I mean that that's that's a prime example of what we're talking about of where you would have a world where you would need a spaceship to travel from place to place, and where it would it would come in very handy. Yeah. Or you're on. Or or you could even have like. Open ships, you know, like like uh, what is this? Uh, what is the game? Star is this um, Star Jammers? Uh, no, Spell Jammer. Spell Jammer. Spell Jammer. That's it. We're we're actually sailing on ships through space. The Sundered Skies uses the same motif, where you're on sailing ship. The planet was blown to little pieces, and you now have to use sailing ships to get to any of the pieces of the planet. It's weird stuff like that. There's plenty of stuff like you know, there's plenty of worlds like that where where they get around you actually have to board a sailing ship and sail. I mean, that's you know, one of the one of the ways of going to the moon was in a sailboat being carried by by a brace of swans. Oh God, 
All right, so uh, Bruce? Well, they, they didn't know about the fact that there was no atmosphere in space, so it made perfect sense. Yeah. Right? I mean, if you can imagine uh, a, a ship of any kind being drawn by an animal through the sky, why not use the same type of methodology to get to a planet like the moon? Yeah. Uh, planetoid. As I said, we, you, know, you could be exploring the uh, system platform, and you might, and some of the portals might be going to different worlds, but not all the worlds. So you might need a spaceship to go and explore some of the worlds that aren't covered by the system platforms. So you have these worlds where you can travel to and you need a spaceship to do it. And most of the time, as we're talking about here, is is that the spaceships are probably going to be coming from the worlds themselves. It's going to be coming from the the culture uh, that exists there or whichever alien culture that might be coming to take them over. Because, for example, in the Flash Gordon series, most of the technology actually came from Ming and his super high tech and was co-opted by, you know, the the geniuses of Dr. Zarkov and Flash and used, you know, to their own purposes. There's lots and lots of stories of people who are pretty much an everyman who finds themselves, you know, in in being embraced by a a higher culture for one reason or another. And you might very well find yourselves as team members going through and running into these higher tech cultures. Yet at the same time, they may be completely accessible to you because they may have the smarts so uh, intimately built into the machines that literally, you know, when you talk to the ship, you're talking to like a person and the ship is smart enough to run itself and to get you where you want to go. You just have to tell it where to go. Anyways, let's say, so uh, another reason that you'd have an adventure would be you'd want to star travel. You actually want to go to different worlds. And as I say, it could be that you go through a portal, you find a ruined world and there might be a spaceship sitting there saying, Hey, you know, uh, this world was destroyed, and we all left, but we know, as you said, John, we know about IDET, so if you guys are from the Commonwealth, here, get in this spaceship and go find us. And as improbable as that may sound, that is actually the premise for Frederick Poole's uh, Heechee series, because they found an asteroid out in space that was literally pocketed like you know, a pomegranate. It's like a pomegranate just pocketed, all, uh, poking out all over the place. Uh, these little ships, and they would get inside them, and they would throw a lever, and and uh, if they were lucky, uh, it would get to where it was going, and and come back before they ran out of food. And if they weren't lucky, well, then people had to start drawing straws and crawling into freezers and hoping that at some point someone would be able to thaw them out and restore them to life, because you know that was they had no control. The ships literally were autonomous and. And initially in, this, in the narrative series, they didn't even know how to, to make them go one place or another. Later on, they figured out how to navigate just fine. But in the early days, it really was a complete lottery as to whether or not you came back from that kind of a journey. But that's the kind of technology that's so reliable and so enduring that you literally you know, can, don't have to worry about the ship operating properly. You just have to you know, be able to convince it to go where you want to go and, and hope that it has enough you know, fuel and supplies to get there. Uh, but other worlds you know, may not be the case. I think the, the best adventures are going to be ones in which you are involved in the planning of the mission, where you have some understanding of the technology and are able to then use it to cr- be creative. 
you know, where you're able to take, you know, some parts of the of, the, of a ship and be able to use them for other things when you get there. Maybe take the uh, star drive out of the ship and stick it onto an asteroid and then turn the asteroid into your own intergalactic bus rather than staying in this l- little small ship that it was originally designed for. The last thing I thought of was is that, you know, a reason you need a spaceship would be, as we kind of mentioned before, is is that if the world is essentially destroyed and you need some kind of a total environmental support where you literally, you know, I mean, it could be on the ground. It could be a crawler, not really a real spaceship, but, you know, or uh, it could be on Mars. But the point is, is that you're on a, a world where there is no way of living other than being, you know, in some kind of a shell in some kind of a um, device that that could provide all the needs for you, uh, including mental uh, stability, because if if it's too small, then you're going to probably go a little crazy pretty soon because you'll be trapped in it. At the same time, if it's too big, then then, then that's the adventure is is exploring it, right? It's not actually a vehicle anymore. It's kind of the environment in which you're in. So, uh, But the point is, is that you, you want sometimes you're going to need something that basically allows you to survive while you do whatever it is that the adventure is really about. And uh, those kinds of and that's and that's truly a spaceship. You know, we refer to the Earth as spaceship Earth because it's traveling through space and it provides us all the needs uh, that we have for life and, and living. But ultimately, it actually is a spaceship. Yep. Hey, Bruce, could you have. I guess it wouldn't be it wouldn't be inconceivable to have, say, for example, you had a a satellite, uh, you know, going around a planet. Let's say it was you know an observation satellite. Would it be inconceivable to have like a Tremelin satellite that had a portal inside of it, so that the characters would or the characters would come out through the portal, and be on a, and find themselves on a satellite. Well, you could do it two ways. You could either find yourself in the satellite, or you could find yourself on the satellite. Uh, because if the if the space inside the satellite is is too close to the to the uh, ring, it's going to create a warp on the outside of the satellite. Mm-hmm. But yes, it only has to be you know about uh, twenty feet twenty five feet wide for the sat you know for the satellite to work. So yeah, oh, it is oh. possible to to put a a warp or a uh, uh, or a full station inside of a of a small space station. We well, yeah, I was thinking space station. When I said sat, when I say satellite, I mean something orbiting the planet. Right, I knew. Uh, but yeah, like like a, like a space station. Okay, so, but because I mean, I know they don't they don't move too much on their own. So would there have to be some kind of? Would it have to be? You couldn't just put one on your own. You couldn't move one to a uh, a space station on your own, right? Uh, no, you couldn't because uh, they would move too s- – unless you had some really slow version of anti-gravity that really slowly right. lifted up into space and then put it right. there. I mean it would literally be a, a job that would take months, even years to move slowly enough to move an actual ring station up off planet you know, uh, into an orbital satellite. Well, I'm saying, but there could be a, ter- a Tremelin set up that way. Absolutely, like, yeah. They could do whatever they want to. You know, we, we right. they're not limited like we are. You know, they or, could or say, even better, yeah. even better. What if you had like a small moon? And when I say a small moon, like a tiny one, it would probably have to be moving really fast. But let's say the Tremelin put a portal on a, on a small moon, and they built a space station around it. You know, oh. so that that in the core of this space station. There's a small moon, and then there's a space station built around it. So you come out of the portal, uh-huh. and you're actually in space orbiting the orbiting the planet. 
Right. Yeah. So, so there's ground underneath you, and then there's a ceiling maybe uh, 30 feet above. And if you keep mm-hmm. walking long enough, you come back to the same place. And somewhere in there is a, uh, I mean, and where you came out, there's a portal. Yeah, but it's right. not a pocket stuff because uh, pocket stuff you you walk on this asteroid, you bounce. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not saying a pocket stop. I'm saying right. literally they they put a space station there, and then of course. You know, uh, John, like you're saying, of course, you would bounce around because there wouldn't be as much gravity unless, of course, the Tremelin had built that, you know, built that asteroid or equipped that asteroid with a gravitational device so that you could just walk around. Of course, right. you never, it could be also one of these uh, pleasure, you know, because remember, one of the things that the Tremelins liked doing was having fun. And this could be actually a pleasure dome for the Tremelin. Right. Well, the point is, is that game masters who want to um, who want to put a portal on you know an orbiting station like that they're going to have to consider the fact that it couldn't just be a station that the people built and somehow they got the portal up in there because it's that's kind of going to be not really true to the game setting uh you're going to want to like do some kind of work around that like you can make it happen but you're going to want to do some kind of work around on it well you'd have to ask yourself why are they doing this because like as i said it's going to take an awful lot of effort to do it yeah, unless it was already there. If it was already on, on the moon and they moved the moon, you know, to orb Earth orbit and then they built this thing around it, well, they could do that, you know, and, and you right. might eventually have it. And the, the part of the adventure would be to finding out all this backstory on why they did this because there must be a really good reason for them to go all that kind of effort. Right. It would be more realistic yeah. to have the portal on the planet and have some kind of transport device to it, like even if it was a teleporter. Right. Well, it could be a teleporter because, you know, a, a Tamellar ring station is an ultra high tech device. Something like a teleporter might actually be lower tech. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, right, when exactly. we talk about these kinds of things, it's all relative to each other. You know, we could have spaceships that are, as they say, like rocket ships, you know, the, the classic Buck Rogers kind of rocket ship where you're literally inside of something that's firing streams of energy or, or whatever out the back and you get into space and you – you have to go somewhere and that's it for, you know, and you only have enough oxygen or whatever for the trip. And if you don't, and, and a little bit of reserve, in other words, it's more like a submarine in space, you know, versus, you know, uh, some kind of a uh, environmental thing to support you for long term in space. It's you're literally rocketing somewhere. And, and once you get there, you, you got to stop and then dock and then get refueled because otherwise you can't come back properly. So, or you can say, or it can be very mature where you can go wherever, any place you want to, as long as you periodically can refuel and, and get uh, uh, certain <clears throat> wearable parts replaced. Because that's what they did in the Rolling Stones. Uh, they spent a lot of time at the beginning of the book going over the ship and making sure that all the worn parts have been replaced. Uh, they even made a big point about it, which is what you were talking about, Blix, in that being in space is very, very dangerous. And at one point, one of the p- people said, well, I didn't replace that part because I knew it had at least – it hadn't even done half of its lifespan. You know, and, and the guy said, look, I'm the captain, okay, and what I say goes – but what he wasn't saying was, is that I'm taking my family into space. There's not going to be a worn part on this ship that can be replaced if I have anything to say about it, because that's how much I care about their safety. And some of the right. people you had to learn two things. One, they had to learn how dangerous space was because they were used to living in an environment which was already the moon, but it still wasn't in the absolute vacuum and, and emptiness of space. And secondly, they had to learn that the boss is the boss. Oh, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And, and the captain is the boss. So 
anyways, but those are the kind of adventures that I was thinking about, at least, you know, not really the adventures, but some of the situations that would cause you to need a spaceship or a high altitude vehicle of some kind. So you, uh, so you could travel very, very quickly from place to place and through the absolute utterness of outer space. I was reminded of a story from uh, our, our favorite author, Harry Turldove, called The Road Not Taken. It's where a ship from the, uh, from the Empire lands on this new world, and, you know, and these people don't look too, too hard. Bring out the muskets. You know, get the cannon ready. And these aliens find out that, you know, they, these aliens discovered uh, hyperdrive anti-gravity about the same time when we were still dabbling in alchemy in terms of technology. They're like PL4 or PL3 in their technology level. And we took a turn that took us down the road to integrated circuits and jet fighter craft. And, we'd never, and we would never, ever have discovered uh, hyperdrive and anti-gravity the way these guys did. But now they've landed on Earth, and they're meeting people, humans, who have machine guns and body armor they can stop musket bullets and jet aircraft they can fly at, mo at, at mock speed. And they suddenly realize that they're in a world of hurt. <laughs> and they've just given these people ac cheap access to space. Imagine, you know, because their spaceships were made out of wood. And they basically... Hmm crossed their fingers and hoped they had enough air when they got to the next, the last of the next planet they, they had to go to. Anti-gravity and, and, and space travel was actually based on principles that were so simple that even a, an early metalworking society would be able to build a workable spaceship and travel from world to world. Yep. So they never advanced any further because they had ships that could do that. And every world they went to, they, they could defeat them because everybody else had pretty much the same idea. Yep. Uh, except for us so, Earthers. <laughs> except for us. You know, we, we were, we're so stupid that we succeeded, right? I think there's a layer story too, which takes place in the same universe and man comes out and pretty much, you know, takes over the universe at that point because we have high technology and no one, and the best thing anything else has is muskets. And we already took, 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 took them over already. They, I think they're, I forgot what they're called. Uh, I'm looking at right now. I think they call themselves the Rox Olan. The Rox Olan. And so, yeah, it's just amazing what, you know, what's out there in terms of potential storylines. Okay, so you know, we've talked about, you know, the reasons why you might need a spaceship. So let's just talk about now, you know, because we're all about bringing the awesome to your game. So we want to talk about some of the various ways you could use it. I mean, really, you know, adventures. What kind of ideas for adventures you guys could use? Our uh, space pirates. Right. Oh, oh yeah, now you're talking. <laughs> right. And, of course, space pirates require a very uh, mature uh, space because you know it's it has to be cheap you know the the early space pirates i mean the early pirates they only had as long as they could build a ship all they needed to push their ship around was wind which was freely provided in, on earth yep. up in space what are you going to use to push yourself around with solar uh, wind but that's besides the point uh. <laughs> that would that would be a yeah, very sl slow <laughs> a very slow slow uh chasing uh, you know 
Well, once you, you know get, what? once you get to speed, you you you'll book. <laughs> now nah, you know what? Forget all that. What you do if you if you want to do space pirates and you want to do you know an adventure where it's you know it's kind of free flowing and, and you have you know wild swashbuckling type stuff, you forget all about the distances between planets. You forget all about uh, propulsion and energy use and stuff like that. You just throw all that out the window. You. You do that because you assume that the technology level is so high that they can travel whatever distances they need. They have whatever energy they need, and it doesn't matter how they do it. They have the blah, blah, blah drive, and it allows them to do that. And then you just – you say, OK, we can do it. Like most TVS uh, science fiction. Like, right. Uh, <laughs> right. And, it, and if you want to go into it, that's fine. You can write the backstory. You can come up with all that stuff. It doesn't matter how you do it or why you do it or, or what kind of drive you use or whatever. You just assume that they're at a technology level where they can do it. Right. And then you treat it like the open sea. You know, you have space pirates who can attack and, you know, their ships can be like old clunkers. It could be like the Millennium Falcon, you know, where, you know, because – Remember, we watched Star Wars. They never talked about how the engines worked or the distances between planets or any of that. And it was fine. We liked it. We accepted it. It was good. They have spaceships right. the size of Toyotas flying between planets, right. flying between star systems. And you, you know, <laughs> and there's no reason why you can't do that because right. you just say that the technology is there and they can, and then you're done. Right. Um, yeah. the, and the it's not going to hurt you your would, game, right? The question you'd be interested in at that point would be: Can you know? Can a pirate actually dock with your ship in space if, if it's traveling in hyperspace, or would it have to chase you uh, and maybe attack you to make you drop out in the normal space where it could attack you? Or you know, would it have to chase you to a planet and now your actual combat or whatever is going to be taking place in the upper atmosphere of a planet where you've got wind to take care of, and if you dive too fast, you burn up. You know things like that. You know, can you right. can you hide inside of of the outer edges of a sun? You know, and use it to to mask yourself to get away. Can you dive into the atmosphere of Jupiter and 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 be able to you know keep the pirate from capturing you? Those are the kind of questions you're going to be asking yourself. You right. know, not not the no. uh, nit gritties. Yeah. Now I'm not as versed with D20 as as some, and with the D20. Uh, the future systems out there that you can buy what supplement or what what would you suggest that people people use if they want to do you know they do fringe in space and they want to do you know this kind of pulpish d20 kind future. of space adventuring d20 future so that d20 that covers is it. exactly what we're talking about it, it actually covers everything in the uh, in a very published way ships right. you know ships make great sweeping arcs in in space even though that's absolutely totally wrong but you know it's it's swashbuckle it's 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 pulp so you don't worry about that kind of stuff you know the, the point is so, that there are combat rules so you can you can have your combats you can have your chases mm-hmm. you can't have your bootlegger reverses using whatever drive is required to be able to do that yep. if, if, and as a matter of fact if your space drive you know grabs onto the fabric of space so it's sort of like when you're traveling through space it's literally like the wheels of your vehicle gripping the road of asphalt of a road you can do exactly like a bootlegger reverse yeah now everyone are you gms out there and all you players listening take your right hand hold it up in the air and wave it real hard okay that's what we're doing here. We're hand waving, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, well, the well, the point. I, what I'm trying to say is that 
you know, what we're talking about doing at this point, uh, doing space adventures and stuff, mm-hmm. go out and get D20 Modern. Yep. Use that. And that, you know, you're playing Fringeworthy, but now you're in the future and or D20 you have D20 this... Future. Actually, D20 Future. Or, I'm sorry. Sorry. And, D20 and that, Future. And, and I believe that is available under an OGL, so you actually don't even have to purchase it. You just have to get it. Yeah, there's the, the there is the SRD for it available. Right. We get links for that. So, so uh, there you go. Now you're in the future. Yep. <laughs> right. But, but here's here's some ideas for adventures you could do. OK, uh, first of all, is it in the initial six planets? There is an adventure that takes place where you literally there is a spaceport with ships that are taking off and your adventure, uh, your explorers can go do that. And they can do that anytime because that space station is or that spaceport is totally automated and you can decide whatever kinds of of adventure you want to take place in that and where those ships are going and what they do when they get there. You know, that's, that's something that you, the GM can do. It's, it's already in the, um, the uh, fringe mapping An adventure I did, which actually uh, I was running separately. Uh, John was actually in it was one that was based an awful lot on the uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs Mars series. And uh, it was a culture where the aliens, uh, they got all their uh, – they used uh, what they refer to as the known rays. And this was these rays that were produced by uh, sending laser light through a um, pressurized lens of uranium. And it, it was split – the light out into various rays that could do various things. One was able to confer <clears throat> inertia onto an object. In other words, if you if you've shown this ray onto your spaceship, uh, onto a, like a globe in the middle of your spaceship, it would then push and pull the spaceship whatever direction you wanted it to go. They had rays that would heal. They had rays that were like death rays. They were like burning rays. They had rays that that uh, that built things up from nothing. And uh, that literally whatever molecules that were there, it would, re- it would duplicate them. It was called the ray of accretion. And then there was also the rays of destruction, which would do the exact opposite, which would be, you know, it would simply just disintegrate whatever was there. And I had an entire adventure all set up with this, including aliens uh, from outer space that were trying to destroy the planet. And, and ultimately what happened was is that the idea was the team was going to help them realize some other uses for all these rays and to actually build some spaceships and to go up into space and attack them in their own you know, from a direction they weren't expecting. In other words, they weren't expecting them to build spaceships and come up and fight them on their home ground. They weren't prepared, you know, with their own fighters. They were designed to operate inside the atmosphere, you know, and make their attacks that way so they could come up there and they could strike at their command corps and knock them out, and then they would have to uh, deal with them on a more equal basis. So, you know, that's an adventure using kind of, you know, uh, alternate physics and things, but it's it's just as plausible as any other adventure because you just have to place it in an appropriate node. Yeah, uh, I, I never did find out if, what happens when you if you shine a beam through two sets of lenses, what happened? But that's you know, <laughs> yeah, it, it it operate by the amount of pressure and uh, rotation that you were able to confer upon the atoms uh, in the lens. It was what which ray would come out. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was all part of what John hadn't quite figured out yet when he, yep. when he had the adventure. But it's uh, I have run that thing all the way to its conclusion, and it's quite an adventure. So uh, you guys, you know, little things can happen. You know, you mm-hmm. 
that said so that that was one. Uh, there was uh, another adventure where they uh, and, and this was the one I did, John, with your uh, monolith world. To to them, of course, it was like you know two miles high and you know about a quarter mile wide. This giant monolith, well, it actually turned to be a giant space gun, and it fired a beam that caused the sun to actually jump up into a higher level of activity because the planet had fallen into a uh, it fallen into an ice age. And so this device was able to do that. But in addition to all the different things like that, they also had some small spaceships that were actually, you know, in the in the actual monolith that they could use to do some exploration of the planet or even going up a little bit into space and going around a bit because it was an alternate. Uh, and this was a very high-tech, very mature technology. This thing had been sitting there waiting for uh, a number of thousands of years at this point for someone to finish the uh, the project. So it was all self-repairing and fix and, and everything else. And so the uh, the biggest job for the team was to figure out how to make it operate. Once they did, then it was like, wow, we can do all kinds of stuff with this thing now. Of course, the first thing they tried to do was, well, let's take it back onto the fringe pass. But all the things that uh, they tried to take on were way too big to go through the portal. So they didn't really try. But if they had, then, of course, they would have failed because then the fringe path would have neutralized uh, all the all the power sources and things. Now, of course, if you're uh, this is there, we, we probably should re- republish one of these days. But it's there and involved American Indians, a large monolith. I'm just surprised when your guys didn't stamp and go, I am Key Rock. But, you know, uh, I had no idea what you're talking about. John. Oh, you don't. Uh, the, the, the one of the more one of the more famous Star Trek adventures where Kirk goes to the uh, oh that one okay uh, see this is the same problem John is that you and me we've seen these things okay half our audience that has never seen the original series <laughs> yeah so uh, okay yeah right well and and Star Trek was was rife of ancient technologies that were laying around yeah. you know. Um, I have an adventure that takes place on a world ship. It's a million miles long. We talked about this in the, in the last one where we were talking about airships. The yep. ship, the, 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 it's a spaceship, and it's a million miles long, and it's a quarter of a million uh, a quarter million miles across. And so the entire adventure takes place inside. You know, eventually, the they actually do get the ship going somewhere because it's mostly been just kind of coasting along for a while due to some problems with the crew, you know, that the, the, the team might, you know, might end up being like people, the mission could be for them to go and fix things on the ship to get it going, or maybe uh, going and doing some exploration as the ship goes along, a la Space 1999. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities that you could do uh, as far as space travel is concerned, especially with something that big that could act as a real platform for exploration. So it depends on how you want your campaign to go. But I assume that most people are not going to want to spend all of their time in uh, in just one particular world. Uh, if they were doing that, then they would probably mm-hmm. – well, they, they would be playing a different game. They would be playing a game that was set on that particular alternate or prime or whatever, uh, and you might call it Bureau 13. Yep. Now, I, I, when I was – when I first ran my, my first – uh, Fringeworthy campaign. This is back actually before the Victorians actually made a, made a presence. So, part of the mystery that the players had to work out was that they, when they went to the uh, the system uh, platform for Earth uh, Prime, 
they found that uh, on a couple of places, Mars, the moon, and asteroid, were these, well, Victorian-style structures, like domes and so forth, made out of, you know, made out of cast iron steel and thick glass, and they are on a, they're sitting on a planet, and they're sitting on Mars, they're sitting on the moon, and they're trying, it was actually, and there was a mystery what was going on. They, this, is my, this is for me uh, to introduce the uh, Victorians as a, uh, as an alter, this is actually before we actually had them in the game, I was going to introduce them as a, uh, another race to, to worry about, another fringy race who basically may be quite aggressive at what they were doing, and but they weren't as uh, high tickets as uh, we were. So it was something, you know, but they were had enough tech in there, they had enough high tech, they actually could build, Lord knows how, these domes on the moon and on Mars to uh, for protection around around the uh, around the, the portals. They definitely weren't to melon. They were definitely made by somebody who uses who use steel uh, you know cast iron steel steam and glass and rivets uh, to build things basically Victorian level tech so it was a mystery for the players to, to work out what was going on a lot of these kinds of adventures are going to be like mysteries where you're, you're you're given the MacGuffin and your job is to figure out how it works and then once it does it can take you to the next part of the adventure I'm a, I'm a sucker for uh, for pulp like like you're saying John and and. I had tried to come up with uh, some ideas of, of how to do a pulp adventure, you know, using making it a space adventure. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking that what would be really kind of neat would be imagine, um, you know, your world and, and take whatever villain, you know, Darth X or, you know, somebody like Ming or whatever. And he has discovered he's discovered this portal. And he knows it's some kind of high technology and they can't figure out what it is and they haven't found anybody who's fringeworthy yet. And then the players step through. And at that point, he takes them captive and he tries to figure out, you know, why they're so special. And, of course, the rebel faction, whatever it is, you know, Prince Baron or or how, whatever storyline you want to run, rescues the players because they know they're special. And that's what the adventure ensues because the players want to get back home. But being that this this overlord is controlling the portal, they're going to have to defeat the this overlord Mm-hmm. In order to get back home, you get back to our debt. Yep. So that's how you're, you're, you know, that's how you rope your players into this adventure, this big, you know, broad spanning, um, pulp science fiction, you know, rocket ship to Mars kind of, kind of adventures. And, you know, the ultimate goal would be to, you know, shut down this, 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 uh, this tyrant. Now, of course, the game master would have to put into play. This rebel faction would have to have some level of power so that they could beat them. It couldn't be, you know, some, you know, something where, you know, the players are going to have to come up with the absolute way to do it, and they're going to have to do everything because there's no way that, you know, just a party of people could defeat a whole government. But, uh, but they could inspire them to, you know, they could give them, you know. Uh, the final reasons like well you know we have hope because these people came through this portal and they have another way of life to think of and you know i think that would make for a really good long-term campaign mm-hmm. that would then once they you know if they win the day and they finish the adventure then they they would have this great contact that has all this you know futuristic technology that they could take back to idet and they could you know form a really good friendship because yep. you know they saved their universe and they got to go back home yep. right there's a place where men stand free, and so can we. Yep. <laughs> right, right. Or well, yeah, that's you know that 
that's a prime way to get the players in yep. and kind of strong arm them into the adventure. But then at the same time, you know, they would still enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Richard has always envisioned this game to be one where, you know, the iDead Explorers act as a uh, moral or rallying force for the natives to solve their own problems, you know, and then um, and then create good relations between them and us yeah. as far as iDead is concerned. You know, and of course, you can always go with the special quality <laughs> aspect of it. Okay, you know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> there, there, no, what I'm saying is, is that there's a lot of adventures you could take place where the, it's really hinging on something different about uh, yeah. us humans versus everybody else in the universe. You know, maybe in the universe that particular world, mm-hmm. it's, it's like the the Twilight Zone one where everyone's got pig faces. The, the ugly people are, are beautiful to us. So, of course, the king's daughter is this really hor- horrendous-looking person. You come through and you're like, well, she's gorgeous. I'd love to spend time with her. And all this, you know, and, and then <laughs> you, you, she, she uh, suddenly finds herself not wanting to engage in warfare because she has someone to care for. You, you, you humans, by seeking to form bridges between different cultures, not only each other ones on the world, but between IDET themselves and these people, can defuse situations uh, through you know just these different points of view. Uh, maybe you, uh, everyone is blind; they operate by auditory, but you can see. And therefore, you know, you become this amazing, super-powered person just because you can walk around, you know, and see things. Uh, we've had so much fun with the slarg because you know, everyone always is always like the slarg. He's got 360 degree vision. He, you know, he he can you know see through uh, you know forests and trees. You know, the leaves like they're not even there. He knows, says, yeah, he knows what you have for lunch too. Right, <laughs> but then but and the first thing they do is they stick him inside the vehicle and they say, "Well, what do you see, slarg?" And he says, "I don't see anything. I'm inside this box. You know, all the windows are up, and I, you know, I can, every all the sound gets reflected off all the glass surfaces. I can't see a thing. I'm blind in here. And okay, uh, well, uh, off the glass surfaces and observed by all the soft furnishings inside the vehicle. So yeah, he's he's right. uh, he's in a box. He can't see out. <laughs> right." So you could get, so a lot of adventures could take place along those lines where you're using that kind of a strange thing, you know. Maybe uh, it could maybe, also, you know, I was gonna say, Bruce, you know, it could also be that you're the only ones that are fringeworthy. Like you go to this world, and maybe none of them are fringeworthy, mm-hmm. and that's why this this overlord wants to capture you, not kill you, because he wants to figure out why you can go through the portals. He doesn't understand fringeworthy. You know, he's just like, well, they can use it, so maybe if we dissect them, so you have to capture them live, which would right. keep you from being killed. Right. Uh, maybe they're, maybe they're uh, in, a, in a position of nascent uh, space technology where they, they, they're they ready, they could do it, but, you know, they, it's just too much of a stretch for them to be able to go to another planet. But you, it's a, but they're on a prime, and you know that one of their system platform, uh, portals goes to, like, say, the moon. So you go to the moon, and you put, give them all kinds of supplies and fuel and build them a little base there. Now they can fly to the moon and... They're successful, and then they can, and then it, it jump starts their entire t- uh, society because now they believe it can be done. Yeah. So you, you know, and here's a, so this is a mission that involves space travel, but you're not the ones actually doing the space travel. Yeah. So uh, there's lots of ways you can reuse space travel and and things like that uh, in your games, and I think the the funnest part as a as a GM and and as a player is to be the one actually driving the rocket ship. 
you know, and uh, but that's still, you know, there's and there's still options like that. You know, uh, you could uh, use the star platforms to go do the very same thing. Uh, you go and scout the nearest the four platforms that are on the star portal and says, oh, look, here's an Earth-like planet, and it's only 27 light years away. Okay, so now you can go back to the world and say, hey, you guys have the technology to build a uh, colony ship, and I've got a destination for you. Yep. Or as we put, as me and Bruce pointed out, and we may actually want to touch on this in a later, later podcast, hey, you know, we got there's three portals on Earth Prime Mars. I think there's one on, on the moon. Well, most people say, "Well, I don't see what use of this." Well, the use is that they're supply points. You know, you know, the the the, the fringe space service would probably really come into reality, where your job is to make sure that the lunar colony is fully functional and and supply it. They get the green vegetables every week because you deliver deliver to them by truck through the through the fringe pass. You know, and and it's it's such a uh, you know, and, and also one of the portals, of course, is in Cydonia, which is where the face of Mars is, and you know maybe there is a ruin to Melon City there under the dust, and that's a place to explore and find out what's going on there. Yeah, one of the right, uh, you know, we, or- we keep we, we keep thinking about going outside of our you know our node system, our node, but we could stay within our node and do space travel. Oh yeah. So the idea is, is that you use a place, a microgravity place like Vesta, to uh, essentially create a canister firing device that will just send supplies anywhere in the solar system you want them to go because gravity is not going to – you don't have to get past gravity in order to get things into orbit. Uh, Heinlein once said that once you get into orbit, you're halfway to anywhere. Yep. Because you – know, so therefore – all the energy that you put into accelerating an object at that point just simply sends it wherever it is you want to go. So you could say, okay, this is going to take two years to get there, but it's going to get there. And then you have, you know, you just simply, they know that it's coming. And you could even have a story that's kind of based on that idea where here's all these people who are living in a space station and, and food's been coming for the last thousand years, you know, because they've been in orbit around a destroyed world. And then all of a sudden the food stops and there's this cryptic message in the last canister in a small device and <laughs> they have to figure out what to do now because the food, the, the gravy train just stopped and now all they got left is this one cryptic device that they have to say, is this to help us get to wherever it is that the food was coming from or is it just, you know, a suicide pill? You know, <laughs> sorry, we can't give you any more food. So, you know, rather than you dying in the blackness of space, here's the quick way of going. It's a small neutron bomb. You know, <laughs> who knows? You know, yeah, all I, those I, things are possible. I was just thinking of interesting places to visit. There's a series that was put out in 2001 by uh, it was written by Warren Ellis called The Ministry of Space. It takes place in 2001, and it's basically an alternate history where Britain got all the German scientists and basically ended up, well, creating the Ministry of Space and, and developing British space technology and pushing the British Empire out into space. And they control who, get, who goes to the moon. They control who goes to Mars. And it's very much a rocket punk universe. And there are some secrets, like where did it get the money to do this? And that's actually a very big secret. And that could be something that adventure could be hinged on. You know, you, you step through and you're in the, you're in the, uh, the, Lond- the London Heathrow spaceport. 
but it's not, you know, like I said, but it's not a high tech spaceport. It's a decidedly 1940s, 1950s style spaceport. But the mystery, and you're trying to, it, trying to sell the mystery, and I actually won't spoil it for you folks. If you want to find out what the mystery is, especially you GMs, pick up a copy of The Ministry of Space. It's a graphic novel, and it's wonderful artwork that you can use to show to your players. Look, this is what you're flying in, and it's really cool. Yeah, we've been talking about a lot of different stories here, and we yeah. do that because you know these these are stories in which technology has come alive. They're, they're enablers or the, they're the setting in which the story takes place. And we want to emphasize that in that, you know, even though you might be wanting to do a, a mission where uh, you get to ride a rocket ship or something like that, that can't be the real reason you're doing it. You know, the story has to involve the characters, the players, uh -huh. their characters, okay? They have their motivations and the motivations of people that they might run into. You know, again, Fringeworthy is not a travelogue. You can go through a portal and find yourself looking into a black hole and seeing the uh, amazing sight of, of solar masses being dragged into the thing and all that light and stuff. But that's good, that's good for about five minutes of description. Then you got nothing to do. So please keep that in mind that when you build these stories, make sure there's lots of hooks to the player characters and reasons for them to get involved with, with NPCs. Yeah, I, mean, I ran one of my fringe-worthy games we ran was on a world in 2448. In fact, it was Earth 2448. And one of the problems they ran into was uh, they actually never got into space. They never got that far. They, they ran, immediately ran into the problem of everyone in 2448 is pretty much in a database. You're, you're registered, you're carded, your DNA stored someplace. And here are these five guys who aren't on the books. And how are you not on the books? Where'd you come from? You know, and that actually was the, the main problem they ran into was that, you know, you know, it was a society that was, you know, very regimented and so forth. Even though if you ever read the FTL books, it's actually not portrayed that way. But, yeah, you know, the level of uh, technology would be that everyone would be carded and everyone would be in a database someplace. And if you're not, why are you not? You know, even the homeless are in a database someplace. And, and so that actually brings me to one last thought, yeah. which is, is that, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that sometimes, you know, these these pulpish ideas of science fiction are unreliable. Unre well, they don't seem to make sense based upon our current knowledge of the universe. Mm -hmm. However, there is one way where it can, you know, it, it, without uh, postulating alternate physics. This could be cyberspace. This could be a um, an artificial reality. This could be an enforced, you know, a mental dream where these are the rules that operate. You're actually, you know, laid on a table with your head plugged into a computer system, and you are in a pulpish world, and they has rules. And as long as you follow the rules, you can, you know, you you can do things. I mean, the spaceships will work for you. They'll take you from one location to another, and you still can have a real adventure, even though it's happening in a cyberspace. It looks real to you. You know, if it's, you know, it might as well be real and treat it real. But that allows you to do a lot of fun things. You can have, uh, here's this device. I don't know how it works, but when I plug it in, you know, all of a sudden the ship comes back alive and then the ship will operate. And if I take these red crystals and pour it into my fuel tank, I can go a million, million miles. 
you know, in an artificial reality, uh, a, a cyberspace, that actually makes sense where it wouldn't in real, uh, real reality. So don't limit yourself to just reality or uh, an alternate physics type reality in these adventures. You can also have these kinds of space missions and, and adventures in the cyberspace. Oh yeah, it's right. And the, the players don't even have to know that they're in an alternate reality. You may start the adventure out. You know, they say, well, we go through the fringe portal. Okay. You guys, you wake up and you're here because they could have gone through the portal and there could be things set in place to capture them and do it in such a way that their memory is wiped from the time they come through. And you could have the players go on for several game sessions, not knowing how the heck they got where they are and what's going on. And then they, they eventually realize, holy crap, we're in a simulation. Right. I can you think know, I can think of a specific situation where that could happen, and that is if you went through one of the problem portals where they have the memory transfer, I mean the mind transfer, mm-hmm. where you actually find your mind in the body of someone else. Well, what if everybody on the other side of that portal was actually in one of these, you know, cybernetic helmet things hooked into an alt- an artificial reality? You, right. Every person that you you would be mind transferred into is already in that reality. So as far as you're concerned, the transition is seamless. Yep, that's really good, Bruce. I like that. Yeah, or you can take a tip of a hat from uh, from a certain TV show about the uh, short crimson one. You're on this world. You're 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 having some sort of conflict, and something happens, and the next thing you know, you're waking up, and they're taking the helmets off and saying, "Whoa, hi, hi, hello there, Mister Powers. It was a good it was a good uh, simulation there in the in the Fringeworthy game. If you're seeing the Red Dwarf show called Back Real Back to Reality." You know, it's actually you're now in the simulation, and it's all fake. You know. Oh, it, yeah. Well, there's been yeah. It's it's the classic concept of yeah. the the entire series has been a dream. Yes. Yeah. Okay. The entire gameplay has been a dream, and now you're back to your boring jobs as a garbage re- attendant. Yeah. You know, while while the aliens suck on your blood and produce their young. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it comes down to. That's where you are, or are you? Yes. Because yeah. then, it, then it comes. Then you start to think, you know, I'm back in my humdrum life. You know, that would be a cool adventure. Actually, you run the adventure as if the characters are doing all this stuff, and then they realize that they're not in that world, and they're in this like humdrum life. And see, the game master could even see how long the players will accept this, because then they have to question, well, how do I wind up in some kind of simulator like that? Like, wait a minute. You know, and then they realize that there's this big underlining plot that, you know, well, how do we wind up in some kind of crazy simulator like that? That doesn't, you know, that's not like real life, you know, and they start investigating. It's like, oh, crap, there's aliens who have invaded the Earth. And, you know, and then that becomes the adventure. And then it's like it turns out, oh, wait a minute, this whole Fringeworthy thing is really real. It's like, but they put that in our heads to make us, you know, to make us think it it wasn't when we got out, whatever. But but the point of the matter is, is that you could have multi layers of the players going through different iterations of, you know, am I awake a bunch now? of. <laughs> yeah, am I awake now? Am I not? Is it the lady or the tiger type adventures? Yeah. Right. So yeah, <laughs> kiss me before I wake up. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But and then, but then, would be really kind of cool is, is that it turns out that the players are not really part of IDET, but IDET actually does exist. And the aliens know about it. 
which is why they put it in the simulation. So then you go find Idet and actually join it. Stuff like that, yeah. And there's, all, right. there's ways all things, all these things are possible. You yeah. know, as uh, we really want you to try different things, and 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 I, we've repeated this before, and I still want to repeat it. You know, those of you who are listening, we really want to hear from you about this. Oh, yeah. You know, how can you know? Let us know. You know what kind of missions you're trying to go on and where you're having problems, you know, getting the, getting the awesome, because we would really like to be able to put our heads together and help you run a really successful campaign. So please give us feedback. Let us know what you like and don't like and uh, give it in directions where you'd like us to explore further in the further podcasts of the fringe of the fringe rate podcast. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. And this is Blix. Remember, bullets speak louder than words.